0: Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America.
1: Mr. President.
0: This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu
1: does America.
0: Head over to studismerch.com, use the promo code STU10 to save 10%. If you're watching on YouTube, like the video right now, subscribe to the channel, hit the bell for notifications, do all the things. Ezra Levant is here to remind us that America may be falling apart, but at least we're not Canada. CNN has invented a whole new form of racism for us all to get pissed off at. But we start by doing the American healthcare system. And let me start with this. This week has sucked. Uh, It has not been fun at all. I've had a crappy, crappy week. It was my first day in this week. And the whole week has just been miserable. It started with uh, my dog dying. That's how the week started. President Miles. Yes, those dates are accurate. 2004 to 2023. Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem possible. In fact, his name was really just Miles. We didn't start calling him President Miles until he was like, 16 or 17. And and the the joke was that he's still at 17 years old, blind, deaf, really didn't get around all that well, still in better shape than our actual president. So we started calling him President Miles. And uh, unfortunately, he did pass away. Luckily, though, you know, peacefully in his sleep uh, after I mean, he had his 18th birthday in December. So I mean, he was born in the first term of the George W. Bush administration, so he had a good freaking life, an awesome, awesome dog, and I will—I miss him terribly, and I don't want to think about it anymore. So many of you have reached out, and I do really appreciate it with uh, nice messages. Janice Dean of Fox News Channel said, "I'm so sorry for your loss. What a sweet face." And I don't know if she's talking about Miles or she's talking about me. I mean, they're both true. So, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out later. Uh, so sorry, Stu. We lost a doggie this week in our family, too. Sending love to you all. It's the worst, man. There's just nothing. Ugh. Uh, that can be the absolute worst day of your life. We've been through it all, and it never gets easier. President Miles, what a beautiful creature. Take care, Stu. I'm sure you realize this causes lots of tears. You were lucky to have him, says Sandy. Thank you so much, Sandy. Uh, Lenek, friend of Glenn Beck, says, oh, my goodness. I bet he wouldn't have uh, beaten Joe. Uh, I bet he would have beaten Joe and had everyone... Uh, And their dog vote for him at least 90 million votes. It's true. Miles uh, was a voter, by the way, did vote several times Uh, and he will continue to vote for Democrats after he's dead. Um, (laughs) Apparently. Um, Carrie writes, so sorry for your loss. Pets and their uh, our family and they are lost. Takes a piece of our hearts when they leave us. So true. Uh, Sarah, I'm so sorry. I love how much he meant to your family. He was really loved and had an amazing life. Our own Hillary Kennedy wrote a nice message, praying for you and the fam. Miles was an icon. He will be remembered fondly. We miss you at work and we hope Lisa is doing great. And uh, that's the other part of this, really the week that went on, is my wife had a relatively major surgery uh, on Tuesday. So we had, that was already scheduled on Tuesday. And then on Monday, the dog, and it's just been terrible. So I do appreciate all of you uh, reaching out, but I wanted to take a minute to talk about how all this happened because I think it relates to our lives and our country and the way we do things, um, particularly in our healthcare system. First of all, I can't say enough about my wife's experience at the hospital here in Texas and all, the way this has all gone down. It's been incredible. You know, great doctors, great nurses. You know, I think because of all the COVID stuff that's been so weird and strange we kind of have i think developed a understandable sort of like hesitancy with the medical field lately because you know the public health apparatus is different than the healthcare industry and so many people in the healthcare industry are awesome they do a great job and like they really i mean we all want them there for us when things go wrong and, you know, when you, you combine the, you know, the Anthony Fauci's on down and you see the the public side of this get involved, meaning public, meaning government side of this, it, it starts to ruin it a little bit, frankly. And um, we can get to a point where we get so skeptical about every doctor that comes on TV that uh, we wind up missing out in, you know, in real uh, help, you know, life-saving treatments, for example. Um, we don't want to go there, of course. We don't want to be the anti-medicine side of politics. On the other hand, we do want to be the anti-government involvement in our medicine side of politics, because that just does not work out all that well. And you know, one one thing going through this process and just seeing how incredible the technology we have is today, and how fast this has moved. Um, it's important to understand that like the the future of healthcare is not far away. We are in a period where this stuff has been improving dramatically for a long time. You look back at even when I was, you know, in high school or whatever, I go back 20. God, that's like, 30 years now. Um, and you look at that and you say, wow, that is a totally, these survival rates for these diseases are totally different. Our detection of these diseases is totally um, worse. We were not able to do the things that we do today. And I want to tell you kind of just a quick little bit about how uh, this situation happened with my wife. She uh, is super healthy, way healthier than I am. Uh, You know, everyone tells me, you know, tell me maybe a little bit too frequently how uh, I should shouldn't be married to her. And she she's way above my uh, you know, league. And I and I get that. And I agree with it. I don't necessarily need to be told it on a daily basis by strangers in the street. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily part of the prescription for this particular thing. But I do agree. She's in great shape, has no health problems. She's never sick, never anything going on. And one of the things that we started doing years and years ago was going to uh, a place um, uh, uh, called the Princeton Longevity Center, and this is just uh, something that I, th- I found to be interesting, and I thought seems like to me the future of healthcare, and I think they actually call it, they say something uh, like that on their website, the future of preventative medicine. Um, I here's the thing, we're really good at at figuring out uh, how to cure big diseases, how to cure, cure big ailments. We actually know how to do a lot of it. We talk about the cure for cancer and that's really, really difficult to, to suss out what that is. Obviously we've made incredible strides on that. Um, and I know uh, you can you can have I think it's a fiber one cereal. You eat enough of that. You're going to be totally cured. I know all, you, can, you don't have to send me all your uh, what you should eat to avoid to avoid cancer stuff. I got it. Um, but what I find is interesting about that is if you catch this stuff early, very little of it makes a big difference. Like you can cure it. You can knock it out. You can, you know, remove it. You can do something about a lot of this stuff if you catch it early enough. So years and years ago, I got freaked out by that. And I thought to myself, what happens when you actually like when someone gets, like, say, cancer or heart disease? How does that happen? Usually, like heart disease, you have a heart attack and they're like, hey, you just had a heart attack. We better do some heart surgery or, hey, you're having heart pain. Let's look at your heart. Holy crap. We better do heart surgery immediately. Same thing with cancer. Ah, I'm having pain in this weird area. I don't know what it is. It's been going on for a while now. What's going on? Hey, let's take a couple scans. Holy crap, this could be cancer. Oh, my God, it's cancer. We better do something about it. Oh, no, it's too late. That's sort of the process of how this goes. And what Princeton Longevity Center, and there's a couple other places that do this around the country, does is they bring you in for like a full day physical. And they, uh, you do all, a lot of these tests that you would do if you felt the pain, you just do it beforehand. Right. Like you go in and you take a full body scan, not after you felt pain and they say, oh, my God, this could be cancer. We better check it. Instead, you do it before that when you're not feeling anything at all and you're feeling totally fine. And the idea is to catch it early. Now, the downside to this is it's quite expensive right now, and that's going to be part of the solution is getting it under control. But like if this was something you could do, you do it like every five to seven years, you go in and you have this thing and they look through all the stuff. They have a 3d picture of your heart. They look uh, advanced scans of all of your organs. They look at, they look at everything. They know you better than you want to know yourself. And the point of it is to catch this stuff in early stages. Now we went back in 20, I think 2013 to do one of these things and They found a um, like, a don't know, something on my wife's kidney and uh, they said, hey, you should get an MRI. Get that checked out. Now, we're going to skip over the part where my wife took the report and just kind of put it on the shelf and never got the MRI. Let's just skip that part because they caught it and she was supposed to get an MRI and that would have maybe changed the scenario a little bit. Uh, but we went back here in 2022 and got another same type of scan. And the doctor's like, hey, did you ever get that MRI back in 2013? And my wife said, uh, maybe not. Maybe not." So what had happened is this thing had grown on her, uh, on her kidney. And it had grown to a part where, he, you know, the doctor was very uncomfortable with how large it had become. And uh, they had to, you know, do a bunch of other tests. Long story short, kidney popped it out. Now, I think that means she loses like a pound, which is going to be she's going to be very excited about that today. But they took they had to take they had to remove her kidney. Now, this is someone in her mid, uh, I guess, mid 40s. Right. I, I don't know if I feel comfortable saying that, but uh, she'll she'll yell at me later and we'll edit this out of the YouTube. Um, but, you know, I'm 47 years old. She's a couple years younger than me. She's way better, way better health than I am. And this is something that they would not have caught for years and years and years. Um, We don't know yet what the results are as far as the testing goes on this, but it could be something that is cancerous, could be malignant. We don't know yet. The odds are probably that it is. And, you know, you look at this and you say this could have been 10 years before she even felt anything from it. At that point, it could have spread. I, I want to show you this from the American Cancer Society. Uh, this is kidney cancer uh, uh, survival rates. If it's localized and you're just just in your kidney, a 93% five-year survival rate. Regional, uh, it had come out and spread a little bit, 72%. But as it spreads, it gets, your survival rate gets down to 15% over a five-year period. That's how serious this could be. And the amazing thing is they caught it, and it's been now localized to this one area And she doesn't have to deal with any of that now. We hope and pray. Of course, you never know. But the bottom line is she was able to improve her situation dramatically because of the fact they caught this early. And, you know, it's like when you think of like uh, big screen TVs, right? They come out. All the evil rich people pay for them for a while. And everyone complains about how they don't have a big screen TV. And uh, those evil rich people do. And then the prices start coming down. And now you're going into Walmart and you're spending like $200 for a 9,000-foot TV. That's how this goes. This process would be something that would be great for us to focus on, getting in the hands of more people. The idea that you go and get these scans so these things get caught beforehand and you don't have to be someone who is going to prioritize this and, you know, need to pay a good chunk of money to do it. The fact that we could get something like this affordable to more people would be a massive improvement. And, you know, this is not a pitch that the government should be paying for it, they shouldn't. This is not a pitch that this is going to be something that we you know, try to push through government spending and all that other crap. It's just a pitch to let the actual forces of capitalism and for- forces of the market to be able to expand this to target more people. You know, a lot of people are investing in all sorts of different crap. These billionaires are doing all sorts of things. Making this sort of technology come down in price could do massive amounts of good for so many people. Why are we waiting to feel all sorts of terrible pain before we get scans that can catch this stuff when we can still do something about it? All this stuff is available. Capitalism has brought it to us in a modern miracle, a miracle. That we can do these things. We can look inside the body. We don't have to guess anymore. These things are all available. It's just a matter of getting them to a point where they can be affordable for more and more people. I really do think that this is the, uh, the, the future of, of health care. I can't say enough about Princeton Longevity Center for, for finding this and the doctors uh, here in Texas that uh, treated my wife. Um, they, I mean, look. None of them stepped up to do anything for miles. You know, if we need our dog to get to 40 years old, where's the science for that? Not quite here yet. He got to 18, that was pretty damn good. Uh, But I will say, like, you know, as we go forward, this is something that we should be, you know, I know we're all spending, hey, we want AI to be able to, uh, you know, plan our parties and write our kids' homework. That's all important. But maybe a focus on something like this with technology that already exists to get this in the hands of more people that can actually be treated for these things earlier on so it's not such a terrible, terrible thing. It's not cheap, but I do think America can get there. And I'm not a hater on the American healthcare system. I love it. It's still the best in the world. We got our problems as we've seen over the past couple of years, they do exist. But I don't wanna go back to ancient Chinese medicine. I got no, I want modern cool stuff. It does exist and we can actually use it to do really good things like for my wife. So she has to deal with me for several more years than she probably wants to. Back in a second. So you might uh, remember what we've been talking about uh, liver health formula for a while. It's something that can help rejuvenate your liver, reignite your metabolism, burn fat, boost energy, fight fatty liver. And uh, that affects uh, like 100 million Americans. <laughs> I mean, fatty everything affects Americans. So, well, the good folks over at, uh, uh, you know, that are focusing on liver health have put together a short presentation that shares four warning signs of a damaged or fatty liver. This has nothing to do with my wife's kidney situation, but, I mean, you know, you do think about this stuff as you go through that, where you're like, maybe I should take more steps to make my health a little bit better. Uh, You can watch a free presentation and learn more about whether this is right for you and maybe you want to do something uh, to help improve your health Right now, you can head over to checkyourliver.com slash stew. Again, it's checkyourliver.com slash stew. Checkyourliver.com slash stew. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Everything is racist. White like supremacist extreme. Well, in a truly psychotic article from CNN, uh, we learn about a new thing that is racist digital blackface what is it and why is it wrong when white people use it because if you can identify one race of people who's wrong then you're really solving racism that's how this new thing works the article is insane they say what is digital blackface they say basically it's like when you have a meme or a gif of uh, someone who's black reacting in a way that you seem that you think is funny or expressive and you're a white person that shares that, you're engaging in digital blackface. Um, They say that, uh, (laughs) it's unbelievable. Um, They say that digital blackface is wrong because it is a, seriously, a form of modern day repackaging of minstrel shows, a racist form of entertainment popular in the 19th century. That's when white actors' faces darkened with burnt cork entertained audiences by playing black characters as bumbling happy-go-lucky simpletons. Put simply, digital blackface is 21st century minstrelsy. Bet you didn't know that. Um, One truly troubled person named Elizabeth uh, Halford wrote an essay in 2020 apologizing for sharing gifts of black people. Now, I want to sure. We'll get to what this means on the other side here in a second. But she shared something of Beyonce saying, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss and then said, I've engaged in digital blackface. She says, I guess we find it it funny the way black people tell the story with so much flair. But at the end of the day, she shared a a picture uh, of a woman's apartment building burning down and that made her sad that she shared that for laughs. And that's got nothing to do with race. Maybe just don't, would it be okay if you shared a white person's building burning down? Would there be, and she has an answer to that, believe it or not and tell me if you think it's a racist answer of it. She says, those are the most effective, meaning black people, because white people are so boring. That's not racist. Everything else is racist, but calling white people as a race boring, not racist. Um, This is truly psychotic. This is a, if you are in your head this much, you need to get out of your head. You need to move to the real world where real things happen. And I, I love how the answer to this is, White people should only share gifts and funny imagery about white people. They shouldn't look and find entertainment in other races. They should stick to their own race because that's going to solve racism. White people only sharing material from white people. That's what solves racism in this world where everything is racist. Everything is racist Every thought
1: you have is a KKK dream Everything is racist White so promise just the stream
0: I'm joined now by Ezra Levant. He's the founder and rebel uh, of Rebel News and host of the Ezra Levant Show on the Rebel News Channel, which is, is a good name you, you came up with. There, it's on his YouTube channel. Make sure to head over there and subscribe. Ezra, how's it
1: going? It's great. It's great to be down here at uh, Blaze Studios. I mean, you guys really set the standard, and uh, I feel like I'm a fan. So <laughs> I, I got to keep my fanboy nature in check when I when I see you and the other talent
0: here. Well, you guys do great work at Rebel News as well, and and, and it's 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 kind of like let's let's start here because you have some really interesting details. About what has gone on over the past couple of years in Canada, but let me just start by the the fifty thousand foot view yeah. here, which is like as an American, like you know, American, a lifelong Toronto Blue Jays fan. Yeah. As an American, um, I look at Canada like you guys are our brothers. Like yeah. maybe we disagree on things here and there, but we share a lot of the of the fundamental sensibilities. Lately, though, I don't feel like I can say that anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, really, I can't think of two countries that are more similar. Uh, we have the world's longest undefended border. We were shoulder to shoulder with you in World War One, World War II, Korea. Uh, I think that so many people cross the Canada-US border and don't even think that they're doing something yeah. international. Yeah. Uh, culturally, we watch the same TV shows, we listen to the same music. We have a few small differences. We say a boot, the hoose. Yeah, right, and, and, <laughs> yeah, but, of course. But I mean, you've got accents across America too. Mm. I think there really are no closer nations than Canada and the United States. But imagine if Gavin Newsom became president of the United States, oh. and imagine if there were no term limits, and ah. he just stuck around. What would happen to America over time? That's what's happened to Canada with Justin Trudeau, who has been re-elected several times and may well be re- re-elected this year. And so over time, every institution becomes a little bit more radicalized, a little bit more wokeified, and. Certain checks and balances that you have in the United States, we don't have in Canada. And we saw that laid bare during the pandemic. A- at least in America, you had some courts stand up for freedom, mm-hmm. you had some governors, you had you know, some of the Republicans, you had a spectrum of responses. Sure. There was some pushback. It was not a total uniformity of viewpoint. In, in Canada, none of that happened you know there's the, the federal parliament every party in there agreed we have 10 provinces and 3 territories every premier and every opposition party agreed every media agreed every law society every agreed every law professor every yeah. every cultural institution no one was on the other side and the odd doctor who dared speak out he had his license suspended by the college of physicians and surgeons and so that's what that doesn't happen over time. the The lockdowns and the pandemic laid that bare. But that took years to get ready. for let me give you an example of how extreme it was. Sure, yeah. Quebec, which is the second largest province, the French-speaking province, wonderful place. They put their province under a curfew from ten pm. till five am. In fact, you couldn't even go out to walk your dog. How's that a health measure? <laughs> right. And this curfew was not just for the unvaccinated. It was for vaxxed or not, healthy or sick. That's, that's what you do to, in a prison, you have a lockdown. That's where the word lockdown came from, prisons. We had a no-fly list domestically. So if you were unjabbed, as I and millions of other Canadians, for whatever reason, we religious or medical or we didn't think we were at risk, if you chose not to get vaxxed, in the second largest country in the world, you were not allowed to board a plane or a train. You had to drive across the longest country, second longest country in the world. And the prime minister himself saw that he could use fear to whip up anger against the unraxed because he knew that if someone was unraxed, most likely they weren't gonna vote for him. Mm-hmm. So, he didn't, so he didn't care about, care about the voters. Yeah, yeah. And he demonized them. He, he had a campaign in the middle of, an election campaign in the middle of the lockdowns, and he said, should we even tolerate them? Should we even tolerate them? They're misogynist and extremist. What, what, what did that have to do with anything? <laughs> right, right. He just played the message track of the left, and I'm embarrassed to say that he was reelected. And so he's learned the lesson that, that he can get away with it, mm. and that although some people wake up to it, some people, I mean, I just, I just came from Toronto, people are still not everybody there are, there are masks sure. people are wearing masks some people found meaning in the pandemic some people loved strict yeah. rules they, they they felt secure in the strict rules just like some prisoners who serve a lot of time in prison don't actually know how to survive in freedom they they actually thrived in jail right there are some people who loved the pandemic
0: C- can you put uh, uh, Put Trudeau in perspective uh, in Canadian history, yeah. because like I, I think we look at you know Canadian leadership has always been a little more liberal, maybe than what we would accept, expect. It, yeah. Is he exceptional for Canada? Well, and I mean exceptionally bad.
1: His <laughs> father was prime minister too for mm-hmm. 16 years. Again, that's what happens when you don't have term limits. Yeah. And his father, by by some measures, was, was a Marxist. I don't think he would have denied that. Mm. Uh, you might recall that Pierre Trudeau had a true friendship with uh, Castro. He would mm. go to Cuba all the time. Um, in fact, there's there's rumors, uh, I don't think they've been proven or disproven, that Justin Trudeau, yeah. because, of course, uh, Pierre Trudeau's wife, Margaret, was thir- about 30 years younger than him. Mm. So she was a young, beautiful woman. And you can see all the photos uh, in, in the late 60s and 70s. Yeah. They were very handsy yeah. with each other. and. Yeah. I mean, if you compare pictures (laughs) of of young Castro and young Justin Trudeau, it's eerily similar. There's
0: something there for at least a fun conspiracy theory, at the very least. But
1: I I haven't seen it proven or disproven. Right, I haven't either. But here's what we do know. Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau looks to Fidel Castro as a father figure, Mm -hmm. if not actually a father. Which is more
0: important, frankly. yeah. Yeah,
1: and... But in an unscripted, he, he had a little town hall, Justin Trudeau, when he was running for office. In an unscripted question, he was asked, what country other than Canada do you most admire? Well, that's a good question. I, I, would, I would think of some interesting answers myself. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. With, without missing a beat, he said, China. Okay, no, that's an okay <laughs> I, answer. You could, I, I like Chinese food, Chinese people, Chinese language, Chinese history, Chinese culture. There's a lot of things to like about China. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing not to like about China, and that's its communist dictatorship. But in his next breath, he said, because of its basic dictatorship, Mm-hmm. And then he went on to expand. They can move uh, without uh, the hassle of hearings and so he said China, and that's not necessarily a bad answer if he were to say, "I love the Chinese people and the history, and I hope they become free and they can really participate." And like they, they could, he sure. could have said something good. <laughs> but <didn't>. the one <laughs> thing he mentioned was the odious thing about yeah. that country, and and he continued down that line. His father Pierre Trudeau took the boys to Siberia, to the Soviet Union during the Cold War and said, this is the future, lads. Justin Trudeau has a brother, Alexandra, who has made a documentary film about Iran, okay, published by whom? By the Iranian government. Wow. He wrote a book about China, okay, a lot of people do, I have, mm-hmm. published by whom? Published by the Chinese government.
0: Mm, I'd assume your book was not published. No, it was <laughs> no, It, <you> know, it <laughs> was not. And like there's thousands
1: of publishers you can self-publish. Why would you have the Chinese government edit your book and pay for your book? Mm. And Alexander Trudeau was Justin Trudeau's policy advisor when he ran for the leadership of the Liberal Party. There's a big scandal in Canada over the past couple of weeks because the, the Trudeaus have something called the Trudeau Foundation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Alexandra's on uh, is on the board. Pierre Trudeau's illegitimate child uh, has a has an illegitimate daughter. She's on the board. It's like a family slush fund. Sure. The Chinese government donated hundreds of thousands of dollars. The Chinese government donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to the family foundation. It's it really is reminiscent of the Clinton Foundation, and. There was a bit of a scandal because the Chinese weren't just donating to the Trudeaus. They were manipulating party primaries. Who would become the candidate for the Liberal Party to run for parliament? There's a lot of Chinese Canadians, but many of them love freedom. They came to Canada to get away from communism. There's a big Hong Kong tradition in Canada. So there were Chinese Canadians in parliament who were for freedom. Those districts were targeted by the People's Republic of China. And they ran Chinese Canadians who were pro-Beijing and they instructed Chinese exchange students and others to get involved and to campaign for the pro-Beijing candidates. And so the freedom-oriented, democracy-oriented Chinese Canadians who were MPs, even who were in the Liberal Party, were expunged by China in Canada, met and... Trudeau was given a briefing about this by our version of the CIA called CSIS. Mm. They actually felt they had to intervene because a Liberal Party candidate named Han Dong, that's his name, was a Chinese asset. And and our CIA, the CSIS, went to Trudeau and said, "You've you've got to disallow this candidate. Trudeau waved them off. Of course he wants them. It's the country he most admires. It's the country sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to his family slush fund. And Mm. to this day, Trudeau says, I will not allow an investigation into it. That is Canada. So Mm. there's, let me throw one more thing at you about Trudeau. Mm -hmm. Trudeau's not quite like Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden has no control of his impulses, drugs, prostitutes, et cetera. But you can imagine that China had the contents of that laptop long before the New York Post did. Oh, yeah. And they didn't even need the laptop because they had direct, like you can imagine all the honeypots like Hunter Biden is. is a walking <laughs> um, uh, extortion jackpot. Yes, for any, he really he, is. He really is. The perfect target. And, and don't think that doesn't affect Joe Biden, who may be implicated too. I don't have evidence of that, but Hunter Biden is a disaster. Mm. Justin Trudeau is not as dissolute as Hunter Biden, but Justin Trudeau has a history and whether it's something as goofy as dressing up in blackface, mm. which he did up until middle age, or sexual harassment. He, he uh, sexually assaulted a woman named Rose Knight in Creston, BC. He later sloughed it off saying, oh, she experienced it differently. But I can only imagine what China knows about him because our own media didn't vet the guy. See, one of the reasons you vet candidates is you wanna know their strengths and weaknesses and their policies. But is there a, a ticking time sure. bomb in a guy? Something you don't see coming. Yeah. Like, I mean, the Democrat ran against DeSantis, Gillum. Mm-hmm. We, did, we learned things after the election <laughs> right. about dodging a bullet there. Yeah. I think Justin Trudeau is vulnerable from an international security point of view, mm-hmm. and that may explain some of his foreign policy decisions. But in any event, his domestic policy is what really concerns me. He has followed Fidel Castro the Soviets, the Chinese, the people who he publicly says he admires If he says he admires them, we should believe him Mm -hmm. when he says he admires them. When Pierre Trudeau died, the only world leaders who attended the funeral, if I recall, one was Jimmy Carter, and the other was Fidel Castro. Those were the only world leaders that came when Pierre Trudeau died. Mm -hmm. There was a closeness there, Mm -hmm. and Justin Trudeau looks up to that, tough, tyrant, authoritarian, and over time, Pierre Trudeau, 16 years as prime minister. Justin Trudeau now eight years as prime minister. That's a quarter of a century of Trudeau's running Canada. That can corrode even a free people over time. Mm.
0: Let's take a quick break, and then on the other side, I wanna talk about how he's using the powers and sort of starting to implement these powers in Canada to crack down on all sorts of different groups. We're talking to Ezra Levant. Uh, We'll be back in just a second. We're back with Ezra Levant of Rebel News. So we were talking about the the sort of affinity that uh, Justin Trudeau seems to feel with a lot of these foreign dictators, has relationships with them. It seemed to me COVID gave him the excuse to kind of do a little fantasy league, like a dictator fantasy league up in Canada. We saw it with the Canadian truckers. At first, we're seeing it it, with the churches and religion, anyone who speaks out against COVID stuff. Can you kind of bring us back? Let's start with the trucking situation. I, I, I... that was a, an inexplicable response from a government over yeah. people who just felt they they should have their rights honored. Yeah,
1: you know, there, there was no institutional pushback to Trudeau's authoritarianism during the lockdown. There just wasn't. Mm. Um, the amazing. opposition parties, the media. In Canada, almost every single media company relies on government funding. Uh, Obviously the largest media in the country called the CBC is our state broadcaster. It's owned by Trudeau. Mm -hmm. It's larger than all the private media combined. But every private media takes a bailout from Trudeau. So they magnified his voice. So who opposed? An authentic, organic group of truckers. Truckers are very independent-minded. Most of them, are, you know, are alone by themselves. They own their own rig, maybe their contract. Some work for a company, but a lot of truckers very independent-minded. So it's amazing these truckers, and it's such a visual thing. A hundred trucks driving on a highway. People literally come out, they want to watch it. People lined overpasses and it was a revelation that they had been lied to. They had a false consciousness that everyone supported the lockdowns. Everyone supported vaccine mandates mm. and, and thousands of trucks. And I would estimate close to a million people along the way. Maybe a maybe hundred thousand, but, but probably multiples of that. Yeah visually, physically, personally saw this manifestation. No, we don't all agree. And so it woke up the country that had been hypnotized. No, no, you're the crazy one for not liking this. Because look at this 30 miles of truck coming. Mm -hmm. When they got to Ottawa, what crime did they commit? Did they storm the parliament? No, they did not. Did they have any weapons on them? No, we're Canadian, we're not that armed. (laughs) Were, Were there any violent crimes whatsoever? No, in fact, crime in downtown Ottawa fell during the truckers. So what law did they break? Well, they broke some parking. Fine. They wrote some parking laws and they were honking their horns and that kept uh, some of the neighbors awake. So they went to court to get an injunction to to have the honking stopped and they obeyed. Mm -hmm. They committed no crime. And yet Trudeau was so embarrassed by them that he deployed riot cops. He invoked martial law. And again, the reaction, even by civil liberties groups was to egg him on more, go harder, crush them. All the so-called liberal voices, the civil liberties voices were either silent or wanted harsher responses. Seizing bank accounts of political opponents, that's Venezuela stuff, that's Castro mm. stuff. Yeah. And, and yet he feels vindicated. Uh, he doesn't feel embarrassed by it. The media party, as I call it, totally supports him. I'm worried about Canada because these things didn't happen overnight. I blame the Trudeau's in part, of course I do. But that's a lot of institutions failing all at once.
0: Is there uh, hope for a society that doesn't react at all to something like this? I mean, like.
1: You've got, there's gotta be hope and you've gotta keep hope alive and you've gotta keep working as if there's hope. And, but the thing is, this problem happened over 20 or 30 years. So it's gonna take 20 or 30 years to get back on course. Trouble is, a lot of the woke craziness from campuses, well, it's now in lawyers and now judges. So, Mm. you know, the long march through the institutions continues in Canada. I am worried about things. Canada is just about five years further down that road than America, so I tell my American friends, hold on to your freedoms. We are a cautionary tale. Look at us as a bad example and hold on to what you have, because I wish that I could go back in time and say to Canadians five, 10 years ago, watch out, beware of what's coming. I can't do that because I don't have a time machine, but I can come here from the future, from America's Mm. future and say, I come from your future to warn you. If you do not be careful, you will be Canadianized. And that's not a compliment.
0: Mm. You know, I think one of the most fascinating parts about watching everything, particularly in the COVID era of watching the strange things that occurred, Maybe the most su- su- surprising part of it was the the, the attacks on faith. Yeah. We saw that here, where you know we have a, a, a clear clear First Amendment that protects religious liberty, yeah. and a, a long-standing tradition of it, and still. States try to, you know, shut down successfully in some cases, yeah. shut down services, even not even in, in the first weeks, where I still think it was completely, uh, completely unconstitutional to do so. But also months and months, and, and in some cases, into a year after the pandemic started. And honestly, like I look at what happened here, and it was shocking to me. I, I yeah. you know, I'm surprised we have not seen more action, even in the courts, to stop this stuff. In Canada, it was considerably worse. I mean, what's going on now with multiple doctors yeah. in Canada? Can you walk us through? Because I know you've been working with these sure. uh, uh, with these uh, uh, pastors excuse me, um, on their legal defense. This is really important work. Yeah.
1: A lot of pastors were jailed in Canada for not closing their churches. More pastors were jailed in Canada for not closing their churches in the pandemic than were jailed in China for the same reason, that is a fact. In fact, there were some Christian pastors who were jailed, one of them, Arthur Pavlovsky's, for 50 days. And today, I just got an update from the court back in Calgary, Canada, that there's a Christian pastor, so we're out of the lockdowns now. This pastor was charged because he was feeding the homeless during the lockdowns. They charged him with an illegal gathering for (laughs) feeding the homeless on the street. Incredible. Now they've charged him again because five days ago he went to a drag queen story hour at a public library and sort of heckled them. They arrested him, threw him in is jail. Is there a
0: heckling crime in Canada?
1: It is not a crime. You, know, okay. you could say causing a disturbance. but sure. you, you don't jail someone for that. In Canada, we give bail to accused terrorists and this accused pastor, this morning, was told he must remain in, pr- in prison for another eight days, a grand total of 13 days for heckling a drag queen story out, not for any physical violence. In fact, he had violence done to him. And and there's silence, silence even from the mainstream church leaders, silence from the civil liberties groups, silence from other politicians. I don't know what's going on. There is a rising anti-Christian bigotry. Justin Trudeau whipped up some of that. He said that the churches were to blame for violating the rights of the indigenous people. There was a string of arson and vandalism. About 50 churches were targeted and Trudeau didn't say a word about it. And Trudeau's right-hand man, Gerald Butt, said, well, it's understandable. Can you imagine? And we don't know who that was because the police haven't investigated with any effort. Was that Antifa? Was that, who's torching churches in Canada, burning them down, vandalizing them, desecrating them? And why doesn't anyone care? I say again, if those were synagogues or mosques, there would be a lot of attention to it. I think that that the marginalization of Christians in Canada is a scandal. It's not as bad, obviously, as in Syria, Iraq, China. But I think that the treatment of Christians in Canada should be put on a human rights watch list. And I would ask Americans, because you care about freedom around the world. I know that congressmen and senators and committees study religious freedom around the world. It's one of my favorite things about America. You care about the world. Give a care for Canada. Put us on your list. We're not the worst problem. We're not as bad as North Korea. But we are a problem, and we could use some kind words because Canadians are always saying... An American paid attention to us. Mm. Canada was mentioned in the New York Times. Like there, There's a little bit of an inferiority complex in our country because we're, we're like the mouse next to the elephant. Sure. So when the elephant notices us, we're excited. <laughs> I would ask my American friends to mention Canada, think of Canada, because we're in trouble and we could use some help.
0: Um, Can you walk people through if they want to, if they can help out your organization and and, and what you're doing and how they can get involved?
1: Thank you. I mean, I run Rebel News, which is a news company. And you can check us out at rebelnews.com.
0: And you cover a lot of these stories there. We do, but
1: sometimes we get involved to actually help. So this Christian pastor who's in jail today, his name is Derek Reimer. And we've set up a website called savepastorderek.com. And that's a crowdfunding site that pays his lawyers. And actually, if you're Canadian, you'll get a charitable tax receipt. For it. So if you, if you want to help this Christian pastor, go to savepastorderek.com. He was in court this morning. We'll be there for him in court in eight days. And I'm worried this is going to be a big battle. They want to throw some hate crimes charges at him. Hate crimes charges. Because a Christian pastor's against a drag queen story hour. They want to charge him with hate crimes. That's This is going to be a bigger battle.
0: Uh, it's savepastorderek.com. Yeah. Make sure to check it out. It's Ezra Levant from Rebel News. Uh, thank you so much for uh, doing this. Make sure to check out the Ezra Levant Show and head over to Rebel News uh, and the YouTube page to subscribe. Ezra, thanks so much for coming on the program.
1: Thank you for having me. You
0: know, one of the big problems, an interesting thing over the past few days of not really sitting down and following the news like I normally do and reading, you know, tons and tons of stories about every big news issue is you kind of get the regular person feel of the news, you know, like you're here watching the blaze. You're very engaged in the news. You're following this stuff all the time. Not everyone's like you. I keep reminding people of this. People aren't like you. They're not as informed as you are. It's hard to move people because a lot of people don't pay attention. So I'm kind of like, you know, dealing you know, in between doctors coming into the uh, the hospital room. I'm looking. I'm you know, I'm reading the news. I'm scrolling through it and I see this terrible Nashville shooting. And um, and early on, it seems like a woman did it, and it was very confusing. Usually these things are not women. Then it seems like there might have been a transgendered person involved in it. And I can't tell you how difficult it was to actually suss out what happened, because no one will say anything that's real. They, They refer to people with different pronouns. They use the word they. I can't tell if it was a group of people. It doesn't make any sense. And it it took me until I got to conservative media eventually, uh, who eventually explained, okay, it was someone who was born a woman and was identifying a man as a man, apparently. Well, uh, you know, the transgender thing is always a big story. Arizona's governor's uh, press secretary resigned after tweeting a meme about uh, threatening to shoot transphobes. Now, here's the here's the actual meme. And it's just, uh, you know, it's a woman standing with two guns and it says us when we see transphobes basically saying like, we don't like transphobic people. Now, does anyone actually think she's going to go out and shoot transphobic people? No. She had to uh, resign over this because of all the controversy. The One thing that's interesting to me, though, is that is this is the Christina Pershaw effect. If you don't know who she is, she's Ron DeSantis' press, or was Ron DeSantis' press secretary. I think she works for the campaign now. But she's just really good at Twitter, and she's very good at slapping down people and arguing with them. And now everybody wants to be her. And you're going to see a lot of big mistakes because she's really good at it. She walks the line really well. Not everybody can do that, as we saw in Arizona. So RIP the career of this person. Uh, We will see you tomorrow. Thanks for all your support. Appreciate it.